Us, to me, are kind of a tricky subject because um, it doesn't just happen like right away, you know? And a teacher might say it's your perineum muscle, but like you don't want your teacher to touch your perineum muscle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and another teacher might say, like a Pilates class, if you squeeze a penny in between your buttocks, that's how you're going to feel it. But it gets really vague and kind of interesting. And then another teacher is going to say, like, oh, it's when you Kegel. But then if someone in your class doesn't know what a Kegel is, then you got to go through that whole explanation of what a Kegel is. And that's not cool either, right? So really, what I want to convey tonight is that these energy locks and these bandhas and these kind of um, places where we're working to learn how to control energy and breath, it's all about the subtleties of the flow of energy through your body, right? So what's prana? Like energy? Life force? Breath? Right? And, and, and on, there is no wrong answer, right? We're, we're having more of a dialogue. I want to have less of a monologue, and I want to have more of a dialogue with you because I want you to really kind of understand this before you walk out of here. Um, at least understand the vocabulary behind what you're doing and what you're trying to learn about. Um, breathing leads to bandhas. So I always like to kind of start off with what prana is. So we have just given a couple definitions, right? But pra, na, pra is the smallest essence, the smallest atom, the smallest little molecule within, right? So if you think of that as energy, then really everything about you is a bandas when you learn how to have prana yama. So prana without yama, is two to, it's a different meaning, right? But when you have yama engaged in the pranayama, then it becomes this idea of breath control. But I want you to take it further and not see it as like breath control, but like you are the witness or the observer to the breath, right? You're learning how to control the energy within your body through these amazing internal locks. But if you're just like, oh, it's this place right here in my body, that's really cool, but you're pointing to like your stomach. I don't really care. But if you can figure out how to use it with breath, that's where the magic happens, where you're learning how to be a witness to the breath and also learn how to control the breath so that you can harness the pure potentiality of the breath so that magic starts to happen within. How many people of you can do a handstand? Kind of, sort of. How many people of you really want to do it because you see it on like social media and you're like, fucking, I want to be a badass. <laughs> right? All of us, right? Okay. When you learn how to control the breath and when you really learn how to get that magic to work with you instead of against you, right? That's when you really, really can do any of these things. Because you're going to learn tonight, one of the bandhas means flying upward. It literally, when you figure out how to control that little spot within you, that little region, and you learn how to use the breath to your advantage, and you harness the breath, whoo, watch out. It's going to be wild. So someone who's flexible will find strength, but then also be as light as a feather. 
And someone who has a lot of strength and a lot of sturdiness can find lightness so that they can flip onto their hands. Because as yogis, we already know our hands are our feet, our feet are our hands. So it's not about like how you look. It's not about like if you have more strength or more flexibility. Your entire practice, your entire life truly is about getting to know your best friend, the breath. And once you con control, not in a way that's like hammer, 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 hammer control, God bless you, but it's the control of where you make it effortless. That's where you're going to be able to control the molecules, the tissues, the fibers, the, your entire physique. Yeah? Through really breathing. Through really allowing yourself to move through what I also say a lot during class is shtira sukha asana, right? So one of the most important sutras in the Yoga Sutras is Shtira Sukha Asana. To get that effortless effort to really find the breath and the prana, you have to really think about how do I balance out my strengths and my weakness to find equanimity. And then you are that person who can walk through walls. You are that person who's as light as a cotton ball. Make sense? Um, because this is about control and it's um, uh, working with your breathing, what I really also want to emphasize to all of you is that this is not core. A lot of times when people say that they're using their core in yoga, it sends chills down my spine and I want to become like the evil princess and just say, no, right? Because really what you're doing is it has nothing to do with core because core is superficial. So if you pulled up your shirt and you looked at your belly, you see your abdominal, you know, um, your abs, that's not really what we're working with. We're peeling away that and we're going deeper within where you're working not just your um, ascending, descending, and transverse abdominal walls, but you're also working not just the obliques, but peel that away even further. So you're like really getting down deep into more of an energetic space where the breath has a more profound effect on your body. Sure, you're gonna get a six pack abs, but if someone says to you like, I'm doing this for my core, you can say to them, did you know that you don't really have six pack abs, you have eight packs, that if you did a cadaver lab, you would have actually eight elements here and not six. So that this has something to do not with the physicality, but more about how the breath moves through you effortlessly. Cool? Um, so that, um, have you ever seen like a high performance athlete uh, doing something? And they just look like they're floating on air, like those runners like can run for miles, right? They're doing a bandhas practice. <laughs> it's a conditioned response. So then once you kind of find it, you'll learn how to tap back into it. And uh, when athletes do this, they don't even really know it because they're allowing themselves to remain calm and relaxed at all times. How many of you can remain calm and relaxed when life circumstances get the best of you? 
Not all the time. Even the best of us freak out. So what we're really trying to do is, through the firmness of the torso and the length in your spinal column, you're creating room for this energetic movement to happen. Coolio? All right, then we'll go to the handout that I made for you. You have bandas in Sanskrit. Banda would be one, right? The definition is, like some of you said, a body lock, a seal to bind, interior locks of the yoga body. Okay, so let's break that down. Interior locks we get, it's not superficial anymore, we're not going to call them core, but what does yoga mean to you? More energetic, right? So let's talk about the word yoga, right? So in Sanskrit, like, it would be called yoga. The Oz for us Americans, right? Okay. But if we do the yoga, and we just said that it was about like a bind or a seal or a lock, like yoke, right? Yoking, right? Connecting two disparate elements, creating union, harmony, creating uh, ease from pain, creating um, synergy from maybe something that's disconnected, right? There's always this kind of like, oh, have you ever played that weird energy ball game? Oh, you ever played this with no. your kid? No. Oh, okay, I'll have to teach you later. Yeah. Yeah. You know when you like, everybody watch Seinfeld? And they talk about the close talker? Because they're in your space. Right? So we all have these force fields, these koshas, these energetic layers. So when you think about it, part of that balance of the two disparate elements, right, the ha and the ta, the sun and the moon, the good and the bad, the salty and the spicy and the sweet and all that stuff, is really all about kind of having that balance so that close talker doesn't get close to you, but that you still have that, like, kind of feeling. You feel their presence, but they're not invading your space. You're like two trees growing side by side, but not in each other's shadow. That's a really hard thing to do. That's why I'm divorced. But uh, you, someone got it, right? Someone got it, right? But it is, it's kind of hard, right? It's hard to be able to keep, always be in flux and always keep a connection, but still feel it, but not like implode. So the idea of what we're going to learn tonight is that these interior locks of the yoga body are yoga. On the smallest essence, the smallest atom, you're like moving like a chakra. You're moving these vortexes through you. It's kind of cool once you start to kind of figure it out. The job of the bandhas is to control the energy and breath through breath. It allows our subtle energy to flow, and breathing leads to creating bandhas. So in order to get to those areas, how many of you have done three-part breath? All right, so you're already starting to figure out where these regions are. 
through that Durga breath, which is what a three-part breath is called, this Durga, this integral yoga breath, is called a Durga breath. And this Durga breath is one of the first breathing practices that we teach someone so that they learn not to stay in this like upper cavity where they're in fight or flight or they're stressed out or they're being really shallow or rough or jagged or not solid, but learn that three-part breath. And in turn, when you learn that three-part breath, you've already started a bondless practice because you're learning how to create more fluidity and use more of your body's surface area to get the energy to flow. It allows us to remain relaxed and calm at all times. And then the idea of the dance of opposites is, is that when you breathe, you always have your inhales and your exhales, right? So that when you're using this dance of opposites, just like that kind of energy thing I was saying, the idea is that you're having opposing forces where energy can flow like a battery. So there's always the positive and negative. There always that is going to be that close talker or that person who wants to smother you or that person who wants, you know, more. But how can you create this really fluid, energetic thing that goes back and forth, right? And then I just put other things that are the dance of the opposites to show you that once again, we're talking about bandhas because that's what the name of the tech is, but we're talking again about hatha, ha and the top, the balance of the sun and the moon. And then what I had started off talking about before, we're talking again about shtira sukha, that shtira sukha asana. So you have the same lessons repeated over and over again. So if it's a dance of the opposites, you have your inhales and your exhales. And if you don't have that strong inhale and you have a weak exhale, then you're not going to be able to find the true meaning of your bandhas, those internal binds, those internal seals that create the harmony. It's all kind of making sense. Okay. So then when we get to the idea of the three bandhas, you guys were, gals were right, it is three bandhas. The first one is the Mula Bandha, so let's all say Mula Bandha. Mula Bandha. And Mula means root, and Bandha means lock. So the Mula, I always like to think of the Mula as the root of a plant or a tree. So that if you saw the central nervous system taken out of its body, it's connected to the brain, but at the bottom of it, about three fingers below your belly button or right below your belly button, there's like a root system. And it almost looks like the root of a tree. And that's how Mula got its name, Mula Bandha. Pretty basic, right? Um, it is an exhale. And that's why a lot of times you hear when someone say, exhale belly to spine, right? So like a cat cow, inhale creates openness and space, and the exhale belly presses the spine. So you've already figured out that's where my mula bandha is. Um, it's sometimes said to be where the perineum muscle is. What I like to talk about is that your pelvic floor is like a diamond. So if you take your pelvis, put your hands on top of your hips, and then take and bring, you don't have to touch it, okay? 
but take and bring your other hand to where the places you go to the bathroom, right? The perineum muscle is kind of in between the two holes that you go to the bathroom, okay? But if you think about that area as like an area and your hips are moving inward and your pubic bone and your tailbone are moving inward, you're almost creating like a diamond. So you imagine there's a piece of coal there and the more pressure and the more engagement you create, you're trying to create a diamond. And that's why a lot of times they call mindful practices the diamond way or the diamond path is because you're learning how to find that uplift energy to uncoil the serpentine stake or you're, you know, you're getting the kundalini to uncoil and you're getting the energy to flow freely. So that amazing things happen. Does that make sense? So you have your hips that help in this process because your entire body works together holistically and harmoniously, okay? So we're not gonna touch the perineum muscle, but another way to figure out that this moves in and up, I had said the cat-cow, right? Because every exhale belly presses the spine. Let's try something. Take your index finger. Bring it into your belly button. I thought you were gonna put it in your mouth. Because your mouth is open. Yeah. Okay. Take the three fingers of the other hand and bring that underneath the belly button. Take your finger out of the belly button and bring your finger below the three fingers. That's where your mulabanda kind of resides. Every inhale you create space and fill it up. Every exhale, belly presses to the spine, and you start to draw a little bit of a string up. So you're toning from the inside out. Another thing that we do to create or to feel this region of your body is Kapalabhati, breath of fire. That's how some people who have disengaged with breath of fire, uh, disengaged with those um, body regions or had a baby or have had trauma or are like totally disconnected that they don't like acknowledge their parts. If you do breath of fire, you start to create connections where there are disconnections. You start to condition someone to feel that it's not superficial, but there's something internally happening. Cool? The Mulhadhara chakra also lives here. Well, isn't that interesting? It's got the same word in it. So now you can never forget that your first chakra is all about the root, right? The Mulhadhara chakra. The element of this is earth. Well, that makes sense because it's all about rooting down, nurturing, grounding down. It's like the first thing that we do in a practice, whether we're sitting in Sukhasana or we're laying in Shavasana, we're always starting to focus on the breath so that we can anchor down, right? Then it's also all about the Shakti power. Shakti, feminine, girl stuff is down here. This is where people sometimes make babies, you know. In order to harness the pure potentiality of that power, goes upward. Creativity, right? 
So the idea of this comes from almost a kundalini or a tantric practice because when you engage in the bandhas, when you engage in this region, you're creating firmness, stability, it helps you to concentrate, it brings the energy upward, and it, because it is a rooting down or an anchoring, it's a calming sensation. It affects your nervous system, your circulatory system, your respiratory system, your endocrine system, and obviously this is the prana, the root where all poses, where all happens. So what poses would use this lock? Huh? Yes? Yes, all of them. Yeah, yeah, right? Very good. Right? These are all trick questions. Okay. So, you all have a block. I'm just going to watch you. Uh, when you hold the block the long way, that's skyscraper. When you hold the block sideways, that means that it's colonial, okay? You're going to be sitting down on the ground, okay? But you're going to be laying on your back. We're going to do a bridge exercise, so I'm just going to show you so that you kind of see what's happening, okay? Does anybody ever play ping pong? You know, ping pong balls are really little, right? Okay, so you're laying on your back. Your block is in between your legs because you're squeezing, which starts to engage that diamond pack, right? Because we're squeezing hips inward, pubic bone and tailbone inward. The arches of our feet are light. Your hands can just relax. On your exhale, you're going to, you see how I'm subtly doing a little pelvic tilt so that I create space underneath my tailbone for a ping pong ball. On my inhale, I just relax. Exhale, I create space for a ping pong ball. My inhale, I relax. Exhale, I create space for a ping pong ball. Inhale, I relax. Does that make sense? Okay, so now you all get to practice and I get to cue you because I'll pretend to be the teacher. So you're laying on your back like you're going into bridge. Your block is in between your legs. Your arms are down by your sides. And we're just creating space for our ping pong ball. And that's as high as you lift the tailbone. And then we let it go. So as you're relaxing there, on your exhale, slightly lift the tailbone for the ping pong ball, squeezing the block. Inhale, relax. Exhale, squeeze the block, hips come up. Exhale, relax. I mean, inhale, sorry. Exhale, squeeze the block, create that space. Inhale, relax. Exhale, squeeze the block. Inhale, relax. Good. Reach your arms back behind you. On your next exhale, Slowly roll over to the right side and come on up. So we had breath of fire. We had 
taking the finger to the belly button, three fingers below, move the finger from the belly button, and that's kind of where you feel it. Every exhale, press belly to spine. The idea of cat cow, right? And now this block thing to show you different ways that you can start to feel it. And also, I talked a little bit about how the breath of fire works to find that space and to wake it up. How many of you have never done breath of fire? Everybody's done it? Okay. Did anybody feel anything different when doing that little ping pong ball exercise? No. Everybody's okay. Right, right, right. There was like, you could, uh, you could feel an engagement because you were getting your adductors to get really strong and you were allowing your hips to kind of open up and you were using that exhale to just do that little great. So that, <laughs> if you were standing, and everybody talks about Tadasana, okay, and we all know what Tadasana is, right? Am I in Tadasana? No. Am I in Tadasana? No. Am I in Tadasana? No. Okay. Am I in Tadasana? No. No. But if I feel like I'm pulling up my leggings and they're really tight, and my feet are active and alive, and my hips are moving outward, but I'm engaging like I'm holding the block, all of a sudden, my pelvis comes into alignment because it's the same thing as when you were doing that little pelvic tilt. Do you all want to try that? This kind of gave me some eyes. No, no, I know. I didn't know if you were like, oh, I want to feel it, or I didn't get that. So, cueing your students in Tadasana is also another way to cue how to start to engage Mula Bandha, right? So, your feet are in a comfortable position. Now, depending on the acetabulum and the, the way the trochanter fits in the hip socket, some people like to be really close, some people like to be really far. It just depends on their legs. For my legs, it feels better to be a little bit wider than feet together, right? But you find yourself standing, your shoulders are broad, and that's cue to dasana. So we take the big toes down to the ground, spread out the big toes and the rest of the toes out onto the ground. Feel the arches of your feet. The arches are just like your spine, the arcs of intelligence. Try to feel like you're pulling up something up over your legs, almost like your pants are too tight and you can feel the bones hugging the muscles, muscles hugging the bones, your knees become lighter as they lift up, and your quads in front, your hamstrings, your glutes, your thigh biceps in the back, they're all active. You have just engaged the pelvic floor. 
And I don't mean to freak all of you out, but you have a cervix down here. You also have one right here. Sit down <laughs> So, if I would ask you, where is the mulabanda, you would say? <laughs> okay, if you were using your words. Okay, three fingers below the belly button. Um, on here, there's a muscle there. What muscle does it say? Perineum muscle, right? Okay. And um, what does mula mean? Root. What does um, bandas mean? Right? All of those, yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, if I would um, want to know I want to work on a specific chakra system, and I want to engage my class on that. What region of the body would I work on if I wanted to do um, this? What, bond, what chakra system is for this region of the body? Mula Yeah, okay. Um, what does it tap into? Right. So if it's the Chakti power, then where is the um, dude reside? Oh, mm -hmm. That's why we do down dog, so we get Chakti power. Uh, would you say that this helps you with um, uh, stability? 
Does it help you to be um, like an overcooked noodle? No. Okay. Uh, is this um, uh, how do I how do we figure this out? Um, so, is this an inhale or an exhale? Exhale. And why is that? They move in and up. Fantastic. Okay. Cool. Very impressed. Good job. Okay. You ready to go on to the next wanda? Okay. The next one is the Uddiyana Bandhas. Um, so Uddiyana Bandha and Mula Bandha are pretty much inseparably connected. These are the opposing forces. So I really like to think of this as the dance of opposites, right? So if you have your exhale is your Mula Bandha, what's the Uddiyana Bandha? The inhale, the inspiration, the uplifting, the movement. Um, it's called the upward or the flying. That's what Uddiyana is. And Bandhas, we already know, means lock. And it's the inhale. A lot of times people think of this as like the flying up lock. That if you can control this lock, you can do handstands and inversions and all of that stuff because you're really figuring out how to get that little trampoline to work. And it also is like your diaphragm, it's cleansing everything in your body. So Jess, would that mean like when you're, let's say, blowing your arm? Yeah. Like floating, yes. Mm. Yep, that's a good, good point. Because a lot of people, when we're teaching how to do handstands, instead of jumping forward on an exhale, we say jump forward on an inhale. So a lot of Ashtangis add an extra breath. That feels so unnatural to me, because it feels like when I inhale, I expand, Ah, but that's why we're going to do this final exercise together, the visualization, to really feel how, because they're interchangeable and there's this dance of opposites, you're actually doing them both at the same time. So we think of like exhale and I push my belly to the spine, but then when I inhale, I'm just going to totally become relaxed. But it's the exact opposite. Yogis are always toned from the inside out. So that when I exhale, then when I inhale, I keep my exhale. I keep toned. And then I inhale and create space. And then I exhale and I squeeze it in. So it's just going back and forth and back and forth like this. That's a great question, and we're going to experience that in the visualization. Um, sometimes people think of this as the stomach lock. A lot of people think about, like, um, oh, it's just the diaphragm. But actually, it's more of the psoas muscle and the solar plexus region. So, and I love to think about that because if you really think about it, like, okay, it's my core, but it's not really my core because we already, like, said, no, no, no. And it is this region, which was named after the sun. So yogis and watched plants and animals and inanimate objects, they always went upward, right? The sun came out, they went upward. They grew upward. Plants find like their root systems and then they grow upward towards the sun. So the sun was like a really big deal in ancient times. That's how like we, you know, like 
nurtured our, or grew our harvest, or whatever you call it. I'm not a farmer. You know, like, but the sun came up. All the good stuff happened. Things grew. I was, life was good. When the sun didn't come out, there was none. It was bad. So the sun became this really big thing, and that's why this is a solar plexus, because when you really tap into the prana and get this solar region to function properly, then everything just blossoms and bears fruit, right? Root to rise. So that um, the stomach will go inward, but everything in the navel center starts to move upward. And that's why it's called the flying up. And it draws prana out of its foundation. So it's inspiring, right? So the inhale inspires everything to go up and create space. And then it allows the prana to go upward so that it can do its magic. Um, the element for this is air, but the element for Mulabanda is earth, right? So if this is air, you're already giving yourself that feeling of lightness. The psoas muscle and the solar plexus region are working. So instead of thinking of those superficial layers of muscles, inside of you from, and this is really interesting to think about, the guy today in class wanted to work with psoas, right? But the T12 is where your psoas connects and your diaphragm. Uplifting, moving, right? So the diaphragm is a key part of this equation too, but the psoas muscle wraps behind your back here, and it goes all the way in front of your hip into your pubic so it like goes, it's one of the only muscles that do something that magical. And when you get that muscle to engage, you know how a lot of people say, I can't step forward because I have too much here. Or I can't step forward because my hip flexors are tight. It all comes from the psoas muscle. Does that make sense? Moving and being liberated comes from the control of the breath. And it doesn't come from like, oh, I have tight hip flexors, because I do have tight hip flexors. But if I'm working with the Uddiyana Banda and I'm creating that space and engaging the proper muscle groups, I can do all kinds of shit. <laughs> right? Oop, and I can fall. But the idea of this is that when you're directing the prana upward and you're using more of the psoas muscle and that solar plexus region, you're activating that flying up energy. So then if I said what area or what um, chakra center, where do you think that's working on? Lifting upward, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's your heart, yeah. But the, the, so the solar plexus region, if you think about your thoracic cavity, it's a big region. Your lower lumbar region would be more of the mula. Your solar plexus would be more of the uddiyana because that's what you're getting to really, that little beautiful trampoline inside of you is moving every time, massaging your internal organs, cleaning out all the icky stuff that doesn't need to be there, right? 
There's lots of people I know who have breath practices and meditation practices and don't move, and they are like stronger as ox. So, do your bandhas need to be turned on to turn on your chakras? I don't know. That's a good question. What do you think? It feels like they're. It feels like yes, but I, I honestly don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there's a great saying that sometimes I say in class. It's from the Yellow Emperor's Book of Chinese Medicine. Uh, the heavens have their constellations. The earth has its waterways and, you know, like rivers and paths and all that stuff. And the body has its little flowing rivers of energy called nadis, right? And we have over 72,000 meridian lines of energy. So we have lots of energy lines and send lines and like, you know, think of acupressure points or like marma points, things that like, um, you know, like um, acupuncturists or reflexologists work on. But when you start talking about going into the chakras, it's some of the major centers. There's a woman named Anahata Judith, I think her name is. I just bastardized someone's name. But um, it's a chakra book that's really awesome, and if you email me, I can send it to you. But it's a great book on chakras. I even know magicians who use it. Oh, you have it in your bag? Yeah. So, so that's, a great, that's a great book to start talking and diving deeper into the chakras. But remember, the chakras are just intersections of some of the nadis. So chakras are only seven subtle areas in the body. Like when you really start talking to someone who's into chakras, they're like, well, there's actually nine major ones. And then other people are like, well, no, there's like blah, blah, blah. And then you get in a fight and yogis don't fight. So we all hug and it's all good. That's a good question. I think that you're on the right track. You're thinking like a yogi. Uh, there's always something below the surface. It's really not what it seems to be, right? And when you think about kundalini and tantric practices, you have to work the energies to get the magic to happen. You create connections where there were disconnections. You uncoil, right? So we could spend our whole lives just working on mulabandha. A lot of people can't feel mulabandha. Other people are like, whoo. You know, it's like two seconds, they can feel it. But if we really start to uncoil and we get out of those, you know, think of what the three main chakras are for the lower half of your body. Ego, sex, survival, right? But if you can figure out how to harness the pure potentiality of the breath and uncoil that and start moving up more towards like heart center and um, then the prana and the energetic stuff becomes much more um, accessible because you've created space for the breath, because you've allowed prana to do its work. Does that make sense? And as yoga teachers, we're trying to teach how can prana heal, right? If you do breath practices, um, they say that you never have to worry about like your diet. Well, obviously as yogis you do, you, you do watch what you eat, but it, you know you, have, you don't have to be as um, your body comes into homeostasis when you practice this dance of opposites. 
when you can learn how to control these, then you learn how to uh, release the things that weigh you down and no longer serve you, so you can get up into higher states of consciousness. But it's a practice. It's a subtle, nuanced walk. It's really, 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 really hard. Am I making sense? I can get really woo-woo and scare you. And then you'll start seeing things. And it'll be really cool. I don't know. I might cry, too. So I'll do that. So this um, gives us lightness and helps us to overcome the force of gravity. So if I have figured out how to harness this, and if my hands are my feet, my feet are my hands, and I've overcome gravity because I'm getting these two to be almost like an accordion. Have you ever seen a bellows? Okay, so those old-time bellows that stoke the fire. And that's kind of what's happening right here, right? So when you stoke the internal flame and you get that light of limb feeling, inversions are fine. What happens is our mind gets in the way and all of a sudden you realize and your ego goes, oh fuck, and you fall over and you fall on your face because you're like, shit, I was just there, but then I acknowledged it, so I got attached to it, and then you go in this dance of the raga and the debasha and all the kleshas and and then I, I just sounded really smart because I used all these yoga words. But, like, yeah, that's what happens. We get stuck in this, like, weird loop of, like, how do I have a blue sky in mind? And how do I really create this calm state of being and not get attached to the outcome? Because when that happens, just by breathing properly, that's where the lightness comes from. And that's where, like, that sixth sense comes from. Cool? All right. Um, what um, muscles or region of the body is this Uddiyana Bandha? So as? Solar plexus, okay. Because it's about flying upward, it also includes your diaphragm. Um, what element is it? Air. What chakra is it? Heart. Good chakra. What um, is it? Uh, exhale or an inhale? And it's having a little like love affair with what? The mulabandha. So they are like your ha and your ta. Right? They're like a good salty meal where you need to have a good candy bar after. Right? Don't you have to? Okay. Uh, and um, what poses do you use the Uddiyana Bandha with? Inversions. Yes, right? Because if I, even in Tadasana, I need to use it, right? So a lot of times, like, you know, you, if you've taken the breath ratio tech, if your inhales and exhales match each other, that's just a one-to-one -one ratio, right? 
But if you get an inhale that starts to be like a one, and your exhale becomes a two, and you start to lengthen your exhales, or you start playing around with the breath ratios, that's where you're really going to start to feel the, the effects and the true meaning of this relationship between the Mulabandha and the Uddiyana Bandha. You'll start to feel it more. The, um, is kind of making sense? The uh, fact, like, um, as an engineer brain, for me, like, thinking about a battery really helps me. But whatever helps you to kind of figure out, um, you should always really kind of focus on what serves you. You know, whether it's, like, a food analogy or a sun and moon analogy or a, if this is your Shakti power, then your Shiva's up here. You know, if you're that, you know, whatever floats your boat. Go for it, but really find some language as a yoga teacher that helps to describe it. The interesting thing is, is that like um, the next one that we're going to do, the third body lock, is the Jala Handara Bandhas, and I like to think of it as Jala as one word, Handara, Jala Handara. It's like when Count Dracula taught me how to spell on. that TV show that I can't even remember because I'm so old. Sesame Street. <laughs> okay, so Jala Handara. Let's try it. Jala Handara. So it's just all together. Follow the bouncing ball, right? But if you do the Jala Handara and you kind of think about it, it's almost the same thing. Jalahandara comes about not so often in your practice. It comes about in childbirth. Yeah. It comes about in like a plow pose. It comes about in a smile. It comes about in a shoulder stand. Um, it is a very interesting pose. Um, but it aligns and frees your neck and your cranial nerves. And this is where the kumbhaka comes into play. So you've heard of more of the one to two ratios, the two to two or the one to two ratios, where you're kind of inhales and exhales. Then you start to come into something called kumbhaka. Our bodies are a kumbha, which is not like um, kumbaya, my lord, and not like um, that kunamatara. Kumbha, kind of same, but a pot or a vessel. So kumbha means pot or vessel. So a lot of times people describe your body as a temple, right? So you got to feed your temple well. You got to get your te- you got to get yourself to sleep. You got to nourish yourself, take care of yourself, hydrate, all that stuff. Because your body is this beautiful vessel that houses your essence, your being, right? So this Jalahandara aspect of it is really teaching you how to find the Kumbhaka, which a lot of times we call it the space between. Does that make sense? I'm going to explain it. So say that I have an inhale and I have an exhale, and they're the dance of opposites. But then I'm diving deeper into my yoga practice, 
And I have an inhale, a space, an exhale, and a space. Where I start playing with the ratios that in between my inhales and my exhales, I have a pause. A purposeful pause. So there's a breath that's called a teria. I think it's spelled T-O-R-I-A or tortilla or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think it's a Spanish word though. But it's teria. And it's the most harmonious state of being. So I want to say you inhale for eight. Hold it for four. Exhale. I'll have to email you this because I'm having a brain fart. It's, it's a, been a long day. I apologize. But it's a, like an 8, 4, 16, uh, 8. Like you hold for a pretty long time in between these inhales and exhales. And once you can figure out this breathwork practice, it is literally called the most harmonious breath. It's like gets you into the most harmonious, most balanced, most luminous state of being. But it's really hard to do. And I can't even remember the numbers, so you can tell I practice it often. Are you talking about uh, alternate nasal breathing? No. But very, I mean, alternate nasal breathing is a form of breath ratios, right? But this teria is like you inhale for a certain count, hold it, exhale for a certain count, hold it. But there's a specific number. It's all in the ratios of 4, 8, 16. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. It's okay. The, 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 the norm that they do these tests on is not based upon, like, you know, like someone who practices yoga. But yeah, some people think low blood pressure is bad. But this is the same thing as saying, like, people say, like, certain fats are bad. Is that, you know, like, I eat a lot of coconut oil. I like ghee and butter. No? Um, this idea of the kumbhaka um, is... Remember that your pituitary and your thyroid are in this like kind of region so that when you engage your Jalhandara Bandhas, what happens is, is that you actually are triggering like the master of the glands for your endocrine system. Which is pretty cool because then when you start to engage this, like this is why I always feel bad when people or teachers or students don't, uh, when they're teaching others, peers or in a classroom setting for yoga that we don't do plow and shoulder stand as much as we should be doing it because it has such a profound effect. And if you're not doing breath practices, you're not really engaging this. Um, rabbit pose is a good thing that engages this too because a lot of people don't do plow because they're worried about their necks. But this aligns and frees the neck and the cranial nerves and engages the anja chakra which is kind of where you're like that bindu where you transcend all space and time and you go deeper into 
that higher um, levels of yoga, the more esoteric slash mindful meditation stuff, the more of the heady stuff. It could be. I am not aware of like like hypothyroid or yeah. Yeah, that would be a good question for someone who's like more of an R an MD and a yogi. Yeah. That's the same as like, you know, when you like people ask about pregnant people doing yoga like inversions and stuff or certain things and some people do it all the time, and it actually enhances, and other people do it, and it's not good for them. Um, but, yeah, I would ask a doctor. Um, when you do do these breath practices, and you do really figure out your bondus and stuff like that, you know, your body comes into homeostasis. You don't need as much sleep. You don't need as much food. So it does have an effect on the endocrine system. So maybe if someone is hypo, it might not be, or hyper, it might not be a good thing. If you don't have socks, um, I don't know how many uh, uh, straps we have, but I'm going to show you how to feel it. So a lot of times if you really want to feel how to feel what this is, you take a tennis ball. And you can put a tennis ball here. But here's an example of how to find it. Its element is ether, so it's a more esoteric, like more broader concept. And you take and your chin lowers safely on this to get you into the proper position. Most people have had like whiplash or neck injuries, so it's not something that you really want to do with like just yogi yogis who are just coming to your class and you want them to come back. Don't do this. Um, but you take and you lengthen, and then you exhale. And your shoulders go down, but your sternum rises up. And you're stretching the back of your neck. So it helps the cranial nerves, but it also helps to release some of the tension here. And then your tongue goes to your palate. And then you have that weird Mona Lisa smile. So it's a hold, it's a compression. So that if I inhaled and then did a kumbhaka, I would do my chin lock. And then I would lift my chin up and I would exhale. And then I would inhale. It's a very weird, precarious kind of sensation. And a lot, how many people have had whiplash? Yeah, i just be careful if you did. So you can, like, take a strap if you don't have a strap. Pass that around and you can use socks. You can roll up your shirt. Or use something... The hardest thing is to plug the shoulders down. Your socks have to be pretty bulky. 
So you take and um, begin to place your object there. Bring your chin towards your, um, safely onto the object or right onto the sternum. Your shoulders roll down. Your sternum keeps rising up. So you can feel how this is exactly like plow, right? You're creating that connection. Stretches the back of the neck. Now take your tongue to the palate. So if you have a long tongue, this is easier. Take the tongue to the top roof of your mouth. And have a little subtle smile. And then slowly lift your chin and lift your head up. Okay, now you don't have that thing there. Take your tongue to the roof of your mouth. Have a subtle smile. Lift your shoulders down and back. And gently tuck your chin towards your chest. Feel that little bit of a engagement. Lift your chin back up and relax. It's not used as much, right? Only if you're doing like intense breath practices or if you're doing specific poses that affect that. Especially when you're working with children, Sarah and I know we're not going to take someone into one of those compressions because their bodies are developing too much. You want to have children only do something like this after they've gone through their like hormonal changes. Does that kind of make sense? What chakra is your uh, Jalhandarabandas? Okay. What element? What um, is something that it does to this region? Uh huh. So it creates a lot of space. It is a releasing thing. A lot of times if you get like a cranial sacral massage, they'll work to, you know, they'll bring your head forward and then they'll lengthen your head back so they can get that. What does kumbhaka mean? What is a kumba? Anybody have any questions so far? Does it make it more intriguing to you or like more confusing? Yes, no, maybe so? It seems really hard. Like I was trying, like when we were doing like the sad thing. Yeah. I was trying to engage like all three of them at the same time and I was like, what? Like, yeah. it's just it's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh huh. Yeah. That's why we just take it as little increments. And usually when you're practicing, it's more of the dance of opposites that you're working with, the Mula and the Uddiyana Bandha. 
and then this one comes more into play when you're like um, doing uh, breath ratio practices or like more um, of the plow shoulder stand. Ujjayi is victorious breath. So, but you're not. So, well, I had this really interesting conversation with a yoga teacher once because they said that I wasn't making enough noise. And then I was in another class and the teacher was saying that I was making too much noise, right? Ujjayi means victorious, right? So think of it more as victory over the mind and that you're allowing the glottis or this cervical region to create some space so that you can get the breath to flow freely so that it's not victorious like you need to sound like Darth Vader, but it's victorious like, can I use my breath as a self-regulating tool to help my mind to stay calm and focused? So it's not actually engaging your Jalahandara Bandhas, it's just a victorious breath, like an oceanic breath. Is that the answer to that? Yeah. But that's a good question. Oh, yeah. So how do they relate? Like, it's, is it a contraction in the throat for both of them, or not really for either? I don't know, because when I do that, it really hurts. So I don't do it. Okay. Yeah. There's a softness and an effortlessness to everything that you do. But touch your tongue to the roof of the mouth. You kind of feel that little sensation. The lips are in this little smile so you don't have resting bitch face when you're practicing. <laughs> yeah. So then the teachers don't think that you hate them. It's an it's a internal rhythm that you're creating. Iyengar teachers say if you can hear your neighbor breathing, you're doing something wrong. Ashtanga teachers are like, breathe deeper, right? You know, and it's supposed to like stoke the internal flame. But like, okay, but if you're really doing the bandhas and you're finding it, you don't have to be so flippin' loud. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Just tell them they're not going to yoga land and they're not going to get their ticket, their golden ticket. Yeah, I know it's, it's really um, perplexing because you'll hear different things from different teachers. You know, it's just like you might be the teacher who loves to play music. And then you might be the teacher who hates to play music. You might be the teacher who likes to say something pithy about politics, but doesn't want to talk about the subtleties and the, the more yogic philosophy when you're teaching. This is all what you're kind of learning. Like what we talk about in our PPDs is like what resonates with you what can you carry into your teaching? And how can you be the best pure of heart revolutionary spirit and speak your truth? And own it, right? So if you think that breathing deeply is like the best thing in the world, go for it. But if you want to really find someone to be, have you ever heard Thich Nhat Hanh? It's like you're stepping like your feet are kissing the earth. That's so silent, right? And it's just so um, beautiful and elegant. But other people might be like, because they don't like that. 
They want to dance. They want to shake. They want to do all kinds of stuff. So I have you for a couple more moments. Actually, seven more minutes. Do you want to try the uh, tying it all together? Okay. Any more questions? Nada. Okay. You get to lay down comfortably. It's really rough. So from an anatomical viewpoint, bandhas support the breathing, and they tap into your prana. Try this, but don't judge. And remember, you're just tapping into the dance of the opposites. We're working on finding the combined effect of the Uddiyana Bandha and the Mula Bandha to create firmness in the torso lengthen the spinal column, and room for movement. Because as yogis, we're trying to find that space of harmony and ease. And this is like, this isn't like level one kind of work. This is you're really diving deep into it. So it might take time to feel, but I want you to kind of experience this. As you lay comfortably relaxed on the floor, you can close your eyes and breathe calmly in and out through your nose. And as you know as yogis, when you breathe in and out through the nostrils, you're already breathing and allowing your parasympathetic nervous system to calm down. So you've already stepped into the magical wonders of bandhas. Feel yourself relaxing. And now take and lay one hand on your navel. Through this, you can feel how your abdominal walls rise and your abdomen rises with each inhalation and falls with the exhalation. What you're actually feeling is the action of your diaphragm which contracts under the ribcage during inhalation, thereby pushing the abdominal organs forward. Does that make sense? You're just breathing, and what you're actually feeling as your belly rises and falls is the diaphragm contracting under the ribcage during inhalation thereby pushing the abdominal organs forward. So with your next exhalation, activate the mula bandha, that root lock, and then allow Uddiyana bandha with the following inhalation. What happens is as you do this, the stomach can no longer rise up, but the diaphragm is contracting like before. The diaphragm presses against the abdominal organs that are being supported in front by the Uddiyana Bandha and from below by Mula Bandha. 
As a result of this support of the abdominal organs during inhalation, the diaphragm lifts the ribcage. Notice that during breathing, these two bandhas are inseparably connected. Both are necessary to firmly support breathing. So feel yourself relaxing. Your belly rises and falls. On your next exhale, activate Mula Bandha, pressing the belly button back. And then Uddiyana Bandha as you inhale, like a little string, a thread that you're pulling up. But then when you exhale, Squeeze your Mula Bandha. Inhale, the string, the line lifts up to the crown of the head. And as you exhale, the belly button presses towards the spine. Inhale, like a little beautiful thread coming from your belly button, the string goes up to the top of the head. Exhale, press belly button towards the spine. Inhale, the belly no longer rises up, but the diaphragm is still contracting. Exhale, engage the Mula Bandha. Inhale, Mula Bandha is engaged, but the Uddiyana Bandha, like a beautiful string, lifts you up. And exhale, engage the Mula Bandha. Inhale, the stomach no longer rises up, but the diaphragm is contracting like before. And exhale, engage your Mula Bandha. Inhale, drawing that line up through the spine, your Hara line. And exhale, engage the Mula Bandha. Inhale, keeping the belly in, draw it up to the heart. And exhale out through the Mula Bandha. Two more times, inhaling and exhaling. Inhale and exhale. Now relax the breath as the belly rises and the belly falls. Begin to offer your arms back behind you in a beautiful line of freedom. Take and bend one knee and then the other towards your chest. Roll over towards the right side. Begin to press yourself up into a seated space. Did you feel the firmness of your torso? The length of your spine? 
how these two work together to create that prana, right? And even though it's effortless effort, it's freaking hard, right? Because if a thought comes into your mind, you lose it, right? Or if um, you kind of skip a beat because you are like maybe thinking so much about your internal organs that you forget about that. And then when you exhale, you're like still trying to keep everything toned, but you're still squeezing. And then you're inhaling, you're still squeezing. Firmness of torso. <laughs> what if you weren't tense, but you were just figuring out how to engage, right? Did you yeah. feel your torso longer? I, I, I did, but I was, I, I was concentrating so much that I was like, ooh, am I like tense or? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else have an epiphany? Doing this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you felt your inhale stronger and you felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Two thirds of your lungs are on your back, right? So by laying down and doing this, did you feel more like, whoa? Like almost like wings. Songhouse ready for bed. Nighty night, Jess. Thanks a lot. Okay, everybody's good? This is not like the three part breath you try to do when you're counting sheep to go to bed, because it's activating. Yeah? And it's not a breathwork practice that you do when you're. Oh. It's not what you do when you smoke. Well, actually, it kind of it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Maybe that's why people smoke. Yeah. You're all going to be really, 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 really incredible yoga teachers. Trust yourself. Speak from your heart. Don't teach anything you don't practice. And have a really safe drive home tonight. And it was an honor to spend this time with all of you. And may the merits of your practice benefit all beings. Namaste. Amen.